from Wakefield. It's the Nolan Court Night Show. We want you to join Nolan as guest this week. Ibn Bacard to the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here's Nolan. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the show. Joining me this week is a, another big-time guest as we creep closer to the 100th milestone episode. As I just said to him before we got going, we share a, a, a few traits together, both a fan of a basketball, but specifically a our alma mater that we share being the University of Rhode Island and the men's team there, which we hope this year will find success. He also is in Rhode Island. He lives in Rhode Island as well, so that's another thing we share in common. He is the one and only Mr. Ibn Bakari. How are you today, sir? I'm doing well, Nolan. Thank you for inviting me. Well, of course, anytime to have someone to talk about basketball and roadie basketball, especially when they're there during some of the greatest times of, of URI history is is a pleasure to myself, as I usually like to start this, and it's kind of unavoidable in the sense of that the last few years have been really interesting and kind of scary and wild in itself, and you run a business being licensed science international, and you have your trips you make down to the Dominican Republic, and then you have your things you do in Providence with it. What's it been like, not just for you during the last few years, but also running Lights Science International during these crazy times? Well, Lights and Sirens International uh, is something that's very dear to my heart. I've been running the nonprofit organization uh, now for 13 years. And it, it really more so started in the Dominican Republic to try to help address the, 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 the mental health of the men and women that serve uh, in law enforcement and public safety. And and then, and then when the pandemic hit in the last two and a half, three years, it really made us focus a little bit more locally on a lot of the incidents that were taking place across the country with uh, incidents of violence by law enforcement towards minorities in various parts of the country. And so uh, I, I decided that we wanted to do something to try to help bridge the gap with law enforcement and the minority community. So during the pandemic, while everyone was isolating themselves uh, and, and trying to keep themselves uh, safe health-wise, we were trying to bring awareness to the incidents that were taking place with law enforcement and the um, the, uh, the brutality that was towards minorities over the years. And we wanted to try to do it in a subtle way. A lot of folks was under the assumption that I was going to do a basketball event to try to help bring awareness. But instead we chose to use bocce ball, okay. which I had picked up from playing basketball over in Italy. Uh, I find that, you know, when you have basketball, uh, a lot of folks don't think basketball is a contact sport, but sure. it's very much contact. <laughs> and when you already have a very sensitive issue, uh, like what we were addressing, I felt that having a contact sport was not going to be the right thing to do. But also we wanted to try to do something that was a cultural, cultural, you know, right. something that was cultural, different, something that I didn't know anything about as a kid growing up in Detroit and, and as many other black kids did not know about it. So uh, it, it, you know, it, it was really something that kind of like now helped to bring not only the awareness and the tough conversations of what we were witnessing and seeing, you know, on the news, on our cell phones, you know, on social media, 
And to be able to have, you know, participation from the state police, federal, the local police departments, and have these discussions, it really did start to make, uh, make it, it really just made it folks be a little bit more aware that this is something that we have to work on together. Sure. Politics is not going to get it done. It hasn't gotten it done. And this is two entities that have to coexist with each other. Uh, so the pandemic really just kind of like help us to focus a little bit more on addressing uh, a lot of the social issues that we were that we have been seeing and 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 bringing awareness to it. And so we've we've been having some really good success with that. Well, that's in although that's the stuff you just have been talking about, what you're addressing, the things you're trying to change about society, although that was present prior to the pandemic to give you the opportunity during this pandemic to really def refine your what you're doing what you're working on to really figure out what you want to be doing is, is maybe one thing you can take away positively from all the sadness and despair from the um, pandemic on another note you mentioned you know I sort of want to turn more to a more positive note instead of the pandemic all of talking about it but growing up in Detroit you know, that, that's a, it's a big mecca of, of sports and just society in general here in the United States and, you know, the Detroit Pistons, the Tigers, the Lions, so on and so forth. For you as a kid, you know, what was your relationship like with basketball, not only in terms of playing it just as a child, but in terms of possibly doing it as a, a, a career or past, you know, high school? Well, for me, you know, basketball was something that came along later on in life for me i actually like baseball better uh started base out with baseball and swimming versus basketball and it wasn't until um you know just dealing with a lot of different uh issues with you know having a single mother raising two kids um you know being in an urban environment like detroit you know at that time growing up detroit was like the number one ca uh murder capital in the world and you know, there was gun violence in the middle schools, elementary schools. And, you know, so for me, you know, it, it was, you know, basketball really kind of like became an outlet later on as I, you know, as I was, you know, I approached like 12, 13 years old. Um, and then, you know, having, you know, having the Detroit Pistons and the bad boy yeah. period, you know, especially like in, the, you know, that was like that 88, 89 and 90 year where, they finally was able to get that monkey off that back and and, and beat the Celtics and yeah. then go on and go up against another Giants, the Lakers, and, and to and, and to prevail and then to do it like you know back to back, just really just like brought like this real big spirit you know to just being a Detroiter, um, and then so for me basketball really just started to become more and more healthier for me, for my health and wellness. Uh, so seeing the possibilities of me being able to go to school and further my education, uh, to be able to play on the collegiate level. Um, uh, AAU was not that big at that time. It was really just getting started. So we were going to a lot of like the basketball camps that was like in Indiana and in Pennsylvania, uh, some of the camps that were being held at um, at some of the uh, the universities uh, that were in town. So those are outlets. And then, of course, you went and played pickup basketball at the local parks. 
And you had to come with your strong five because if not, you had to sit until the rotation came back around for you to play. So, you know, basketball was it has always been like this, 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 this piece in my life that has helped give me, you know, substance, has given me guidance, has given me discipline. And that's one of the things that, you know, I, I'm happy to see that it's being taught uh, at such a young age where it was something I ended up having to learn later on. Well, you mentioned the Detroit Pistons and the, the bad boy teams of Isaiah Thomas and Dennis Rodman and, and several other athletes from the team. Compared to maybe when you were younger watching them, what did you take away from that in terms of your own game, but also by the time you got to high school and then college, what did they teach you? So I was actually, you know, for me, I was, we were in a in somewhat of a privileged position because our high school basketball was, was, you know, one of the top programs in the country. And so because of the discipline that our high school coach, Perry Watson, instilled in us, he wasn't just teaching us basketball, he was teaching us the game of life. And so that was something that then became applied to our practices, you know, our practices, our games, uh, our, we, we were a very defensive minded team. It, it was like our defense created our offense and we would press you, you know, 40 minutes. And so uh, the Pistons was a hard, gritty grind, like, you know, that East Coast basketball was just always tough. You know, you had your you had your Knicks that you had to go up against that was just, you know, just as tough. You had your, your Indiana Pacers that was tough. So you had these tough teams so that as a kid, I started mimicking myself like, you know, looking at like the Dennis Rodmans, the John Sallies that was on the team, because again, you know, trying to put myself in the category of Isaiah Thomas, I was like, I'm, I'm already 6'6", you know, but, you know, because Magic was from Michigan and played at Michigan State, he was another person that I found myself mimicking myself and, right. you know, being the big man that was not the traditional big guy that only played the five, but actually was playing the point guard position. So um, having, you know, Looking at the Pistons, they definitely was a great influence. In fact, because of the success of our high school program, I had the I had the uh, I had the luxury of actually meeting members of the Detroit uh -huh. Pistons team. You know, I even asked John Sally, like, "Hey, John, like, you know, what made you choose to go to Georgia Tech?" And he said, "Listen, out of all of the schools that were writing, you know, that were sending letters to me." Georgia Tech was the only school that was actually handwriting their letters to wow. me. And so because of that, it was like somebody on the other end had to take time to write that letter, which was his head coach, to express how much he was interested in. And that was his, that was what helped him to make the decision yeah. to go uh, to go to Georgia Tech. And so with me having 80 plus schools that was recruiting me, I had to, I, I took what he said and like, all right, well, let me look at the, you know, the, the written letters. But then I was like, well, wait a minute. I need to also look at the fact that I am a black kid that lives in a, a predominantly black environment. And I need to know how to function in white society. That means I need to go to a white institution. 
However, the white institutions that I had coming after me, they were big, big schools. They were schools that were like 30, 40, 60,000, wow. you know, population. And, and for me, I just was not learning that way. I needed to be in a little bit more smaller environment. So when Rhode Island came along, there was one of my former high school teammates that went to U, uh, to URI the year before I ended up arriving at URI named Carlton King. And so he came and said, hey, listen, you know, Al Skinner is really interested in you. And Al Skinner happened to play for the Detroit Pistons yeah. before he had retired. So when Al finally got the head coaching position after Brendan Malone had left to go to the Detroit Pistons as an assistant coach, he not only had the conversation with Carlton King to talk to me, but then he also ended up reaching out to Brendan Malone. And Brendan Malone invited me and my foster father to come to a basketball game. Wow. And at the end of that basketball game, he had me come to the locker room and he pulled me to the side and said, listen, when a head coach calls somebody like me expressing interest about a player, these are the type of things that you need to take notice when you're making your decision. Yeah. So that's kind of like my story with the Detroit Pistons. That's how, you know, um, that was the start of the conversation with me looking at URI and ultimately making the decision to come to URI. Speaking of URI and, and Al Skinner being there near the beginning of his run as a head coach at URI after Brennan Malone and, and Tom Penders, I'm sure there's a conversation that goes on between the player and the coaching staff of what both sides expect out of each other in terms of production. What was your conversation like if you feel like sharing with um, Al Skinner in terms of what he expected you to um, help with the team and put forward? Well, I think that Al Skinner saw that I have a I have a big man, but not a traditional big man. I actually have a big man that very well could transition into a small forward and be pretty dominant at that because, you know, Again, I started basketball late, and then as I transitioned and I started seeing myself, I arrived at URI like, okay, you're supposed to play the five. Well, I was 190 pounds, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm supposed to play the five, and you had guys that were like Yinka Dare that was seven foot and, you know, 280, and it was like, you know, I was, you know, I was just hanging on for dear life having to guard guys like that, so you know, I eventually, you know, started, you know, perfecting more on the 15 foot range. And then ultimately I was consistently hitting, you know, the outside three, I was able to handle the ball enough. Um, and then of course, you know, Al was, you know, Al, this is, this is how I knew Al knew what my, what he was pushing me for. Usually when you would have to run in your group, so like, you know, running suicides or, 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 or running a ladder, you know, you would have your guards and then you have your big men. And Al was like, you know, so of course I was like, well, I'm always going to be fast. I'm going to be faster than the big guys. And he was like, no, 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 no. You run with the guards. <laughs> and so I literally did all of the practices and everything with the guards. And then, of course, you know, watching film and learning plays. And it, it, it just helped me to start becoming more comfortable of knowing like, OK, you got to know the one, you got to know the two, you got to know the three, you got to know the four, you got to know the five position. And so 
Um, his expectations of me, I think, was he could very well be a good three, but it took a few years for us to get there. And I think if maybe that had been the focus right from the beginning, I think that I definitely would have shown what the three would have looked like in the two in the in the in the nineties versus now what we're seeing in the NBA and seeing in college where you're seeing six ten, you're seeing seven footers that are playing at the three spot. Your first year there, there were a lot of veterans on the team that you're you're watching, you're taking it in, and they're playing a lot, maybe compared to yourself. What did you take away from that aspect, seeing as the team later on would go to then a more youthful approach to the team? Well, I was the only freshman in 92. Um, you had Mike Brown, you had Mike Moulton, you had Carlos Easterling. You, we had the transfer, Rafael Solis that came in. You had Matt Keebler. So you had five seniors when I arrived at URI. And then you had like five or six juniors that yeah. were right behind them. And so I was literally like the baby of the team with these older uh, with these older guys. So I got a chance to learn a lot. And then also because we were, you know, heavy guys that were from New York. So the style of basketball in New York, you know, I was able to get a little bit of that. And then Mike, you know, Mike Brown being from California was able to steal a little bit of uh, a little bit from him. And, and so the only issue for me was that coming to URI, I was expecting to play. And, <laughs> yeah. and then, you know, to, to be in practice and to be doing everything. And, and, and I even recall when we went, we, we, we were playing Eastern Michigan, my freshman year and the guys on the team, I don't know if they was just hyping me up or if they really was like, yo man, I, I really think you might be starting. Or at least you're going to be playing a considerable amount. And as the game is going, the first half goes, I, I don't make it out on the floor. So I'm trying to keep my wits. I'm trying to not let it get to me. And then the second half starts. And then, you know, the first five minutes go by. Then the next 10 minutes go by. And then now 15 minutes go by. And then now... It's literally like, you know, maybe two minutes left in the second half. And Al looked at me to go in and I just kind of shook my head and was like, nah. And then he walked over there and was like, you need to get your ass out of that basketball court. <laughs> and I was like, you know, and I was kind of like, you know, okay, let me go. I got out there. But then at the end of the game, I went, we shook the opposing team's hand, and then I just beehive right to the locker room. And then my uh my at that, you know, my foster father came after me and and he was like, Hey, listen, don't let this get to you. You know, this is a part of the process. Yeah. And it was like, nah, nah, nah. That was not what we discussed at the at the dinner table when we were getting recruited. It was like I was supposed to be playing. And yeah. then of course to come home and have family and friends and every in the, in the stands and then not to get no burn. It really just messed with my, uh, it really messed with my uh, emotions. Well, and I think, and that's why I, I marvel so much at the teams that you played on with at URI and those prior to you, the Tom Garrett teams and so on and so forth, is that everyone on the team, regardless of the minutes that they're getting played a vital role in the team. 
And they understood that if they played together, that they're going to dominate the heck out of other teams. Whereas you see nowadays, specifically at URI, you see a lot of players across the country even leave super early because they're not getting the time that they think they should be getting or what they deserve to get. And it ruins the, the makeup of the team. And that's why, you know, you or I, hopefully at Archie Miller does a, does a better job of this. So telling the guys, Hey, listen, this is what you're getting. This is how it's going to benefit the um, team. Well, I want to mention sort of that, that next year you said that Cordell Llewellyn joins the team as a transfer from Wake Forest and Michael Anderson comes to play for you or I, who I had on a few weeks ago. And he, I was, I'm still more of the fact that he didn't start playing basketball until 18 years old yep. for those two to get there. And although maybe the same season results as the previous year, the team had, but could you tell at some point that coach Elskinner might be working on something, building on something for the team to have future success? He absolutely was because now we had a seven footer. Now we had like a real, you know, a, 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 a center. And then it was like, okay, I could play the four. And then, you know, so, and then Cordell was at that two, you know, at that two, three spot. So yes, he was building and there was the build that was taking place and it was taking a process for us to get there. You know, here, my freshman year, my redshirt year, we end up doing well enough that we got into the NCAA tournament. We, you know, beat Purdue in the first round and then had to go up against number one, North Carolina and got destroyed and demolished, you know, but it was like, you know what, it, it was that success. And then it was like, all right, then the following year, now it's like Abdul Fox, Kyle Ivy Jones, uh, Andre Samuel, Cofield, um, I, I, even uh, Jason Alexander before he ended up leaving to go, uh, uh, going to, I uh, I'm not sure what school he went to, or I can't remember at this time, but we had the pieces, we had the talent, and we were building on that, you know, each year. And so Al was definitely uh, with the staff, was creating something. Um, but again, as 18, 19, 20-year-olds that's still figuring out life, we just, you know, we were, our expectations was one thing. And then there was another thing that was taking place out on the basketball court that the men like Al, you know, Bill Cohen, uh, uh, Timmy O'Shea, yeah. you know, to even have like, even, I remember even having Bonzi, you know, on, you know, on the coaching staff, you know, my freshman year. And then the second year to have, you know, uh, Mike Brown on the coaching staff. So now you got former basketball players from URI that's on the coaching staff. So they was able to share, you know, again, that mentorship to help, you know, again, guide us young men that was going through some of the things that they had went through and was sure. able to share some of those experience to help us uh, to really build as a team that you now started seeing that success sure. that got to where, you know, we were at in, in the NIT and then made it to the NCAA tournament. And then the following year made it to the NCAA tournament, then went deep into yeah. the NCAA tournament. So, you know, you could really see that Al did, you know, um, build something. And then Coach Herrick just happened to just inherit the vision yeah. of what, you know, Al had, uh, had built. That year after Llewellyn, I believe, and Anderson get there is when Coutinho and Tyson join the team, if I'm not mistaken. Um, that year, even with them there doing well, you also have probably a really great year as well statistically uh, on that team. 
when you're able to have more freedom on the court as a player and score more and rebound and assist more, what was it like for you for you to do that? Was, they, was it a sigh of relief for you to finally be able to realize that you can do what you want on the court? Oh, absolutely. Because I think once you embrace your role, and I had embraced the role of being a defensive player, and Al saw it, and he was comfortable enough that we actually ended up creating our own uh, one-three-one defense okay. that we threw at teams. And normally you would have a point guard that would be at the one spot, but instead we actually put Tyson all the way in the back okay. and had me at the one. And then you would have Mike Anderson, uh, Reynolds Dean, and and Katino Mobley that was at the at in the in the three. And then, of course, I would even take it to another level to get us pumped up that I would run and I would slap the floor and then I would pick up the point guard. And then now I'm just on him, on him, on him, waiting for him to like just try to throw it over my head and we pick it off. So that became fun that we were able to, you know, understand what our roles were. And then at the same time, it just allowed, you know, for instances like with the Temple game that I was, uh, you know, I, I I was brought back into the starting lineup. Everybody was wondering like, well, where is it? And why is they only using them for defensive purposes? And the very first game to come back into the starting lineup and to light it up against Temple and have one of the, you know, as they say, one of the, you know, one of the URI's, one of URI's better games in, in Keeney Gymnasium, like that place was rocking. Like, <laughs> It was like, you know, the coach was yelling, cursing. It was like, it was just like, it was just mayhem. And you never see a game where Temple is in the 80s. And we basically end up pushing the Temple up on them. And so we realized like, you know, we need to, we don't want to play their game. We need them to play our game and get that and get the pace up and took them out of their comfort zone of being in the 50s where you get them in the 70s and the 80s. Now you start uh, now you can have some success in actually beating them. Well, speaking and I mentioned this at the beginning, how you guys went from an older team, Kyle Ivy Jones, Abdul Fox and so on and so forth. And then a younger team, but then the team that now has been together for a few years, they have that chemistry do you what at what point do you remember when that started to happen when they maybe Katino and Tyson first got there and then it built up do you remember a moment where there was all that chemistry and then now you're starting to find that success do you remember a moment where you first remember that I was I believe it was the it was the 95 96 year that we end up going into the NIT and even though we fell short in that we walked into the next year with, we were healthy. Katino was healthy um, because Katino, it came off of, you know, uh, injury. Um, and so we we had a healthy team. You know, we had David Arababu from Germany. You know, we had John Bennett from Texas. We had, you know, Antonio. Uh, we had Mike Anderson. You know, we had the Tysons. We had Preston. You know, so, you know, now it was and, and I also felt like I was a part of that because now I was the I was the mentor. I was the guy that was like, OK, like they're coming on their visit 
and now having the conversation with them and talking about sure. why this would be a good opportunity and fit. You know, you guys are going to be able to help now build on what we were doing. And that's one of the things I have to say that the coaching staff did a good job is that they gave like a Cordell Llewellyn and myself the opportunity to be the host of the players that they were recruiting and was able to talk to them. And, and, and of course, you know, they end up signing and they came. And so we had established that relationship. Similar to me, when I was a senior in high school at Detroit Southwestern, I remember sneaking off down to Ohio to see URI play in a Christmas tournament. And I, you know, me and my brother actually end up, you know, staying on, uh, slept on the hotel floor with <laughs> Kyle Ivy Jones and, 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 uh, and, and Abdul Fox. Uh, because again, wanted to just build that rapport and that relationship with these guys that I was like, hey, listen, I'm gonna make the decision to go to URI. So I need to start like now having a little bit more rapport with them. Sure. And that's the same thing that ended up happening with the Catinos and the Tysons and the Reynolds Deans. And, and so I think that that all kind of makes the full circle of seeing how good we became as you know, we were going through those battles. I, I actually, it was when we went to Italy, we actually had an international trip that summer. And that was when I saw just how good we could be as a team, because we went over there and we were playing against professionals and we were holding our own. And that was when I really felt that we, we were, we were also good. Well, it just, and that's, as I already had mentioned, I'll repeat it again, is that, that when you see that, that's what makes a fan enjoy the game, to see a team, you know, embrace the tough times, but then go through the, the good times with still a positive attitude and say, you know, we still thought that, you know, we're better than them and we're going to show it to them. And you see that with the roster, how everyone just worked together and really did that. You, you mentioned sort of the blowout loss against UNC in, in, in the playoffs. Then now as an upperclassman, as a senior, how did you deal with getting your, your team's name called in the NCAA tournament and what that happened to be as, as an upperclassman for that team? Well, I think that we obviously, you know, having that national television game against Temple was was a big factor. We actually had some really good wins. And then we also, I think we end up going like, was it uh, like eight, nine, nine, four, 12 coming down the stretch? Because the NCAA always looks at like your last look at your like last 10 games sure. as you're coming into the uh, to be selected into the tournament. And we knew that we needed to uh, have a good showing in the A-10 to secure that. So those are the kind of conversations that we had. And, and, and so those, those, it was just those type of things that, you know, as a team, we talked about it. Um, there was times that even Al didn't have to call a meeting. You know, there was times that we would just call a meeting and be like, Hey, listen, you know, what is it that we're trying to do here, guys? Are we just trying to just be mediocre or are we trying to, are we actually trying to make a name? Like, are we trying to put the school on the map so that folks know who we are? And the crazy thing is, is that when we were in the NCAA tournament in Memphis, you know, that year when we lost to Purdue, you know, there were folks that were like, man, we were rooting for y'all, man. Y'all got a squad. Y'all got the, y'all got the talent, man. It was just like, 
we just thought y'all were going to y'all were going to go on a run and and it was like those type of conversations that i felt that also helped the underclassmen to realize that there were folks that like you guys are good sure it's just now just a matter of us believing that that we are that good and so to to see the 199 you know the 99 year and I remember coming, I had just got back from Saudi Arabia playing professional ball over there and URI is on the TV and it was like, okay. And it was like, oh, we're going to the final four. I had already called and booked a flight in the hotel. And then it was like 90 seconds later, it was like, what is going on? What happened? Like, no, 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 no. So you know, it, it, it's, um, you know, it, it, but again, it was like, hey, listen, this is the furthest that the school is gone. Yeah. And it was like, hey, you know what? As much as we wanted to be in the final four, it just wasn't in the cards, but it was a hell of a run. And it was yeah. just great to see that class to be able to do and to take it further than how it was for me and Mike Anderson and, and Chad Thomas's uh, senior year. Sure. Well, and when I when I had Michael Anderson, I asked him about that NCAA tournament run before losing to Purdue. Your confidence level, and not just as yourself being able to help produce for the team, but also the t- the team's confidence heading into that the NCAA tournament, your final senior year. I think that we definitely had the confidence, and it was more so just we needed to get that first win in the NCAA tournament for that confidence to like now go to the next level and because we fell short of that even though we were very close in achieving it it was just that we did not get there because if we had got that set if we would have got to that second game and it would have been against arizona who was a number one seed because it seems like we always was getting that eight or nine seed in the ncaa tournament and if you win your first game you got to go up against a number one and that was one of the things that i really think that helped with Tyson and Coutinho and that group to be able to end up knocking off Kansas. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Temple a lot. And, and now, although Temple is no longer in the A-10 conference, you know, URI has a long history of playing, you know, obviously PC there. They'll be back at the Ryan Center this winter, I believe December 4th or whatever it may be. December but, 3rd. Uh, December 3rd, a long history of playing PC home away, Temple, UMass. But then also when you were there, you played Minnesota a whole lot. When you were playing in, in college, what was it like as a player to go against PC, UMass, Temple, but then also not just to play them, but then to beat them both home or away? Well, I have to say, you know, having having a number one, the number one team in the country as UMass was, you know, that was a battle. And we played them twice. You know, we played them at home and we played them, you know, we played them uh, on the road. And they had just, they had just got their new, arena so you know here you're walking in they got this brand spanking new (laughs) arena the fans were into it like they had the pay you know the 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 students were behind our bench with the papers and you know acting you know they just did all kind of like psychological things that just kind of like would 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 jar you a little bit but then once you got out there on that basketball court and you played and we really you know I, I felt that we gave our best shot to like you know PC like I know we at least went we were 50 percent you know with PC where they didn't just shut it we, we didn't get shut out like four years in a row 
Um, it was like one year we win, then they come back and win, and this win or that win. And I feel that also, which was a factor for us, is that our biggest games that we had, we had to play in Providence at the convention center, yeah. you know, instead of playing on campus. Like, you know, when, you know, yeah, it's your home game, but it's not your home court because that's not where you play your games on a consistent basis. And I feel that if we'd have had those, those teams in Keeney gymnasium, I think that now they would have had to not only deal with the roadie Rams that was on the basketball court, but they had to deal with the URI roadie Rams that was in the stands and 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 also there was folks even hanging off the rafters <laughs> in a lot of cases in in Keeney Gymnasium, which made it was like you could feel that floor like you sure. know thumping. So you know playing against those teams was great. It was it was it was um, you know it was even greater when you could get a win with some of the uh, with some of the teams, especially like the PC, because that was the, you know, Al used to always say, he was like, we don't lose to Brown. Like any school, we don't lose to Brown. Yeah. And then that year we ended up, we ended up losing to Brown. And it was just like, didn't I tell y'all we don't lose to Brown? And it was like, you know, it, it was just like one of those things, like we was not supposed to lose to them. Like sure. there were times that we would look at our basketball schedule and some of us would be like, all right, that's a win. That's a win. That one's a win. That one's a win. And then they're like, this one's going to be a little tough right here. This one's going to be tough. And so that was the things that we would do because it was like, all right, we know we can beat them yeah. uh, because it was just like, we just got the personnel. Now this one, they, they almost as good as us, or they might even have a little, might be even a little bit better. So that one, we really going to have to make sure that we're all, uh, you know, we're not doing our, you know, we ain't caught, you know, we're not giving, coughing the ball up and turning it over and, and we got to make it hard for them. Um, but yeah, it was always exciting playing um, the big teams, but I have to say that even though it was nice playing in a bigger arena, I didn't like it because it was just not the, it was not our facility. It was not our basketball court. And I think that for me personally, it psychologically played a little bit of a factor um, that we had to play at the convention center only because it was a bigger game that was going to get a bigger draw of fans. Whereas I I would just, I was like, let's stay in Keeney, let's play in Keeney, you know, let them deal with us on in Keeney gymnasium and deal with not only us, but also deal with the fans. Well, and I I look at it nowadays with the team. And I I remember the the last, this past season, when you and I played PC at PC, it was close for a bit. Then it just trailed away near the end. What do you hope Archie Miller brings to this program, but also the players realize about the importance of some of these games against the PC or at UMass or other other games that were big years ago for the school? Well, I have yet to have the opportunity to meet Archie Miller, but I know that I will be meeting him because I, I am actively a board member on the Athletic Advisory Board at URI. Um, but the one thing that I would say about Archie Miller is that Archie Miller is familiar with the A-10. Yeah. He's had success in the A-10 before he left to take a job in the Big Ten. And I, even though he didn't maybe have great success in the Big Ten, I think that there are lessons as a coach that he learned in the Big Ten that he will be able to bring to back to the Atlantic Ten where he had success and build on that. Um, 
this portal thing is something that just boggles me and throws me off because again, that's just not, that's not where I came from. And and so this transferring and this, that, and the other, it it really just kind of like, well, how are you going to be cohesive if you've got moving parts that are moving, you know, moving out of the cog? And so it's hard to say what the expectation is for him. I say this, there's only there's only room to go up from here. Sure. It's his first year. He's going to, I, I believe he's going to do, he, he's going to do his best diligence to put the best product out there on the court. Sure. Now it's just going to be, uh, it's going to be up to the student athletes to execute what he is teaching them. And so I'm excited. I think every year we get excited as an alum uh, and also as former players. Uh, I just hope that this year won't be like some of the (laughs) years in the past that was hard to watch. Sure. You know, the games. Yeah. Yeah, Which was, which was tough when you're up considerably at the end of the game and then it just falls apart. Like, uh, I don't, you know, a a bad donut or whatever it, it may be. Um, also, though, you see maybe – well, you see in college sports where fans, more though the fair weather fans, they complain about, oh, they're not doing too well right now or they suck or whatever it is. Or then you see even in other sports where coaches are gone relatively quickly because it's more of a results now-oriented world. How important is this first season not just for the team but for fans and the whole URI community in whole? Well, I think that this could very – you know – I'm opti- I'm always optimistic. Sure. But one of the things that I have recognized is that, and I even think that it happened at PC until up until recently. We need to continue to secure the coaches to be able to have longstanding success. Okay. And I look at URI, I look at when there was success, and then I look at when folks end up going on to bigger and better and then we have to now go back now we have to go to the rebuild process sure and i think that that has been uri's achilles heel is that we have been continuously have been rebuilding 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 whereas if you look as an example you look at pc and you look at ed cooley well ed cooley is now have now just done an additional extension and with the success that he has had that is like now motivation for him, the alumni. I mean, you see and feel even when you're in Providence around, you know, uh, PC alumni, you know, there is a pride that they have. And sure. yes, URI has a pride too. But when you have that success, like they have been having like year in, year out, and then there's even years when they're not even thinking that they're going to do well and they still turn around <laughs> yeah. and do well. So I'm hoping that, this this legacy that Archie Miller is is setting for URI is going to be one that can be one that can be lasting. However, I know that this is a business. Yes. And so because it's a business, there is there is these decisions that are made because folks got to make the best decision for sure. them and their family. And it's not always on the school. And one thing that I'm going to reiterate is Al Skinner all had preached and said, listen, the university needs to embrace its players because coaches 
come and go. But players are forever with the institution. And so I think as the alumni out there continue to embrace the players that 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 come to the institution and that play for the institution, that are ambassadors for the institution, they really do need to embrace them and, and help them as they're transitioning from leaving their families, coming to this, the, coming to like, URI is a traditional college. Like yeah. Kingston is country is yes. you're going to get. And it is, that's the only thing that's in Kingston, URI. Yes. So the university in its, uh, in its affiliates and its alumni staff, uh, even the faculty embrace these young men and women that make yeah. the commitment to come to these institutions because they are going to be forever associated with the institution. Exactly. Now, you know, being that you're around a lot of great players, being one yourself, you, you've seen you've seen what it, it takes to find success and have success and withhold it. And you know, you're not someone who's just joining the conversation, but there always is the conversation. You see at other institutions, colleges, and what have you. You look up and you see numbers or names or whatever it may be next to the Elite Eight banners, Sweet Sixteens. Being a, a, of what you where you came from at URI, besides maybe the top known players, Silk Owens, Tommy Garricks, and Tyson Wheelers and Katina Mobley's three three numbers or three players whose name or num jerseys you think should be retired at, at some point. So as I this conversation is, has been has been looming coming up. Um, this conversation I brought up, you know, to Thor, the athletic director, from our last advisory board meeting back in May of this year, and he said that the you know that they are going to be making uh, they they're going to be changing that, and I think that after 15 years as the athletic director. Absolutely, it needs to be done. Sure. But then this is something that should have been done over 100 years ago, Sure, the start of it. And so to answer your question, it's very hard to answer that question due to the fact that there were records that were set before the three individuals that I would say would be yeah. the first three to go there because they end up breaking records from previous folks. Sure. So to answer the question, I am going to say that, excuse me. I'm going to say that my selection for the first three that should be in the Ryan Center um, would be Sly Williams. Okay, yeah. Silk Owens, and then I have to go with Tyson Wheeler. Okay. The the reason why I would say that is, you know, Sly has been, you know, for me and others, Sly, you know, has been like this myth and legend, and you know, to hear the story that you know he was, you know, supposed to be at PC and yeah. wound up at URI and. And and the ple and actually having the pleasure of like meeting and talking to Sly on several occasions and hearing his own 
stories and, and, and his experience at URI. And I think with him, he really just kind of like helped to set the bar, you know, um, for, for a black kid to go to an all white institution sure. to want to wanna attend the University of Rhode Island. Silk Owens, again, had the opportunity to meet Silk, saw Silk play. Hell, at the time, I was a fan of the, you know, of the, um, you know, of the Syracuse Orangemen because of Derek Coleman. You know, D.C. was from Detroit. And, you know, so to, to see URI to beat them, you know, in the NCAA tournament was just like a blow. And then not to realize that this was going to be one of the schools that I would actually go to later on but just to see him play and then you know the the bar that he has set like yeah. he is like in the top you know he's like in the top two in, in categories at uri from scoring to yeah. assists to steals so you gotta you know silk is like no question and then you know and it's not a bias sure but Tyson Wheeler, I would say, is the third, you know, only because, you know, again, he's like in the top, he's in the top three in three of the categories at the institution. He's also sure. had set success where he's been in the NIT, he's been in the NCAA tournament uh, in his in his four-year career. And he was just a hell of a point guard. Sure. You know, he, he was, you know, a, a hell of a player. Um but I will say this. I asked this question to several of my former teammates. What would be their selection? And, and the three that I mentioned is kind of what a lot of really? folks wow. lean towards. And then I also spoke to, uh, you know, a, a big alum, you know, of the uh, of URI. And, you know, he also kind of mentioned these three. But one of the things that I would say is that, you know, even, you know, with with Keeney being having the gym, I think you have to the university has a lot of hard work that they have ahead of them by at least putting the first five that's up there and then now trying to catch up with the ones from the past and then sure. still keeping an eye on the present sure. ones that will be coming next uh, because we should not be we should not be in this position right now having sure. this and i think that anybody that you have on that committee that's making the selection there's going to be some implicit bias that there's sure. going to be there because there are folks that saw certain players that played and teams that played sure. and then you only hear about the accolades of others sure so that that's my that's my that's those are my three and that's what i i have to say about oh, no, that makes sense and i i think also because and i i don't want to you know say anything negative or or say something that may not be true about sly but you know he, i don't know if he's been to a game recently or what he's up to in his life now so to get do that for him for someone who's been that successful at the university round is a is a big deal and obviously silk with what he went through prior to going to uri and what happened you know, before his freshman year it is a thing that should help him get to the, obviously his stats help from himself. Absolutely. Tyson, as well, especially now that he's a coach in the A-10 and what the success he's had. And you bring up a point of the fact that, you know, my grandfather, you know, I've lived in Rhode my whole life, my father and my grandfather have, and my grandfather, you know, being 85, so he grew up in the 40s and the 50s. So he saw some of those players 
from that period, although it might not have been the same type of basketball now, still those who set the records that Sly beat and then absolutely. So you have to look at it from that perspective of that there are those players, but then there's also those from years after that you have to pick from. And then obviously there are going to be people who say, well, that person was 60 years ago and they're not alive anymore, whatever it is. And no, that they played with farmers and mechanics and that sort of stuff. <laughs> yep. So it's hard to think though, but also I agree with you in the sense of, and I, you, I'm sure you have, have more to say about it. So I won't delve as too much. So you don't get in trouble, but there there's a certain aspect where there's a fan aspect where you have to think about that, but also, you know, giving respect to those who set the standard for those to beat it three times over and that aspect. So it's, it's a hard thing, but it, there should be something up there besides uh, former president and former, uh, no, former uh, Robert Cuthers and Mrs. Washington, former assistant coach or player for the women's team and uh, Frank Keeney, which, you know, in itself, those are three great people, but there's, space to grow and hopefully there's some stuff due because due time is coming for that before we end here and again thank you for taking the time to do this i, I want to talk again briefly about life uh, life and science international for you what does that bring you that the game of basketball wasn't able to provide to you uh there was an there there was this defining moment in my life, and this would have been my junior year in high school. And there was myself and three other of my high school teammates. And one of them happens to be a member of the Fab Five, played in the NBA, and now is one of the top anchors in the NBA announcers in ESPN, which is Jalen Rose. All right. There was a time when we we were we went to go play basketball and it was actually at the pal league which was the police athletic league so we had already had started establishing a rapport and relationship with law enforcement and after we had had our workout at the pal league you know we you know being young we did one of our drive-bys to over one of the more popular spots in detroit was on belle island and as we had drove through, you know, you had the folks hanging out, the cars, this, that, and the other, and it was just great. And we didn't stop or hang out. We just drove through. And then as we were making our way across the bridge and we get onto the main road, we end up having a cop car that pulled us over. And not only was the car pulled over, uh, guns were drawn. And they had us clear out of the vehicle, patted us down, this, that, and the other. And then they realized once they had checked our bags that they was like, y'all basketball players. And it was like, we pulled y'all over because there was su there's there's suspects that's driving around in a red vehicle and there was shots fired out of the vehicle. Now, one of the defining parts of this was that these officers happened to be black and they did not overreact because of the color of our skin. We were compliant. We did everything we needed to do. They realized that, okay, you guys are ball players. Y'all need to get out of this area yeah. ASAP. And so that has stayed with me. And then as I look at, you know, as and then to go into law enforcement myself and end up getting out of it because I just didn't like what I was seeing. I felt like I needed to do something. I felt I I, I see that. Our country is failing in a lot of ways. We're becoming very lazy. We're not hard workers like we once were before because now everything that we have is becoming more automated. And so 
with that, I have seen like this conflict with law enforcement in the community have just been back and forth. And then I was like, well, what, what's the cause of this? And so what Lights and Sirens International really is, is, is taught me and has brought to a head for us to teach everyone is that we all have to be accountable for our sure. actions. And I think that we are now living in a society where the finger is being pointed outward versus being pointed inward and saying, what did you contribute to the escalation of this sure. situation? I think that our egos probably is the number one thing that humans have that becomes that 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 collide that happens is our egos and so we talk about ego we talk about how do you keep your ego down you've asked me the question of how do you guys go through the selection process how do you go through you know building this team to become teammates well, we had to put our egos to a side in sure. order for us to be able to play as a group, as five players. It ain't just one player that's good on the team. You need the five. Jordan was not, he was great, but he also had a supporting cast that yeah. helped him be even greater. So Lights and Sirens, uh, it looks at the fact that you have individuals that are tasked with trying to no, that's tasked with enforcing the laws of the land and i think that we are all guilty in some form or fashion of violating them laws now does that mean that one is supposed to lose their life because they violate one of the laws the many laws that they're tasked with with doing no and i would even go as further to say that not all law enforcement are bad, just like not all black people are bad, just like not all white people are bad. I'm like, there's these implicit bias that we all have because the media has a tendency to put more the negative than the positive that is out there. So by you doing your podcast and by Lights and Sirens kind of like taking control of like our own media, it's platforms like this that really help folks to better see and understand perspectives that are out there versus the being told and the scripts that are being written of how you're supposed to be and what you should be. So I love what we're doing with our nonprofit organization. And if you guys want to find out more about Lights and Sirens International, you can check out our website at lightsandsirens.org. We're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, and we also have our own YouTube channel. Sure. And I'll post I'll post those links to those sites on YouTube in the in the description and also on, on elsewhere when I put this out there for people to watch and and listen for sure before we end here i want to end with a little game called the one word challenge so in this game i'll throw out a few names of people places or things that have some connection to my guest and they have to do their best to come up with a word or two that comes to mind or a sentence that comes to mind when they hear it so Ivan, are you ready i guess so <laughs> uh detroit michigan bad boys <laughs> uh kingston Rhode island roadie ramp keeney jim You are right, basketball. Uh, Al Skinner. Mentor. Uh, success. Wow, that's a tough one, success. Success. <laughs> uh, 
And last but certainly never least in this cosmic universe of ours, Ibn Bakari. Humble, giving, not complicated. Well, definitely kind and definitely giving, especially with today. Well, sir, I want to say sincerely, as I've said before, so hopefully it's not redundant. Thank you for being generous with your time and willing to do this with me this week. It, it means a great deal to hear from the people such as yourself to rehash old stories and share moments of, of their time at a great institution that is URI, and hopefully it continues to be good. Well, thank you so much, Nolan, for this opportunity. Uh, I mean, you, you, you've essentially have had me resurrect a lot of thoughts in the 30 years that I actually, this month marks 30 years that I actually left Detroit, Michigan to come to the University of Rhode Island to play basketball and to be a student, an alum, and to give back to the to the very institution that gave me an opportunity. So I really appreciate this opportunity and giving us a chance to talk about our nonprofit organization, uh, to give folks a little bit more of an insight about me as the person as the individual and I really look forward and hope that you will continue to do what you're doing and uh, reaching out to the different players from the different eras so that folks can have the opportunity to chat and talk with them well I, I plan to do my best it's always it's some it's some of the some of them are easy to find some of them are a little bit difficult to find so you, you hope that those you have on you doing a good job with those that they they um, provide some details. Well, as as Ibn said that if you want to check more about Life and Science International, check them out on Facebook, Instagram, www.lifeandscienceinternational.org. Look at there. You'll get more information on the wonderful organization that they have there. Follow on Twitter, Nolan Carr Night, and then on Instagram, Nolan Carr Night Show. In the words of Johnny Carson, the dean of talk shows, I bid you a heartfelt good night. Till next time, take care.